Hey guys, David here, and on today's episode, we're going to be talking to Emma K. Films. Now, Emma has achieved so much in such a short amount of time. She's only been in the wedding industry for four years, and she's already booking and shooting $27,000 plus wedding films. It's pretty incredible, and I've been following Emma for the past few years, and I'm just always astounded and extremely impressed by just the intentionality behind all her work. So I cannot be more excited to dive into today's episode. We talk all about the luxury market. How do you break into the luxury market? What even is the word luxury? Like, what does that mean? How do you break into this extremely high-end market where couples are putting down half a million dollars on a wedding? Like, how do you actually, if you're in Idaho or Ohio or Kansas, how do you actually shoot weddings like that? We talk about not just in a weird kind of atmospheric type way, we actually get into the nitty-gritty of what are the step-by-step protocols that you follow to break into that market in a short amount of time. We get into like what even categorizes a luxury wedding film. What should you wear to a luxury wedding? How should you talk with planners? And so much more. So you don't want to miss this episode. And without further ado, let's get into it. So Emma, finally got you on the podcast. I've been on your podcast a couple times. It was so much fun. And I know you've just recently been everywhere. You just shot at Amangiri, which is amazing. And now you're like, you're moved and everything. And I believe you said you're 23, which is just kind of mind-blowing. And I'm sure you get that all the time. And it's probably like, yeah, I know I'm young. Like, don't got to rub it in. But anyways, (laughs) I want to hear... And I'm sure so many people are curious, like being young, being, doing all these things, like how did you get to here? I know you were in accounting for a little bit, which just seems literally like the polar opposite of anything creative, anything weddings. So tell me the Emma story. Give me the little Netflix documentary, kind of bring us in to your world. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you, David. It's cool that we're yeah it's like full circle moment here Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. but yeah so for everyone out there i'm emma i am a luxury destination wedding videographer based in la um i just moved to the la area (laughs) um and yeah so i started my business when i was 19 years old i was actually a freshman in college i was going to school for pharmacy actually and Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have always been like my whole life. I've always had a plan. I was always going to go to college. Um, I I wanted to become a pharmacist. I had all these like grand ideas in my head. And then I had went to college and realized, hey, pharmacy isn't exactly the route that I wanted to go down. And I remember just kind of like this epiphany of like, oh my gosh, my whole life is falling apart if I'm not going with this plan that I had planned out my whole life. And I ended up changing majors over to accounting from pharmacy. Doing this, I completely fell in love with the world of business. I loved business. And as I went through college, um, I kind of like trickled into film. And basically kind of the idea behind it was one day I just realized I needed some sort of hobby. Like I will just get very into schoolwork and not look back, not look any other direction. And so I was like, you picked the easiest hobby you could possibly <laughs> pick. Like so relaxing, just so easy. Of course. So I realized 
that night, I just, I, I hate admitting this, but uh, at the time, and I would even still say today, I'm working on it, but I am a total impulse shopper. So I drove to Best Buy one night and I was like, I'm gonna get a video camera and I wanna do video. And I had just like seen photographers on Instagram and like kind of seen them working, but I was like, how cool would it be to do video? So, and I mean, I had no background, no creator background, no experience in the video world, nothing. I just was like, I want a hobby. So I bought, I remember I got the Sony a6400 and like the Mavic 2 or, oh man. You bought a drone also? Yeah. And so, and I mean, like I funded <laughs> oh this, goodness. I funded this on a personal credit card, like completely out of the blue. Like there was no like game plan with it. I was like, oh, this would be really fun. And I'm just going to spend 5,000 casually on a Tuesday night. I think you have a little bit of a problem, but we'll talk about that after. It sounds really bad when we phrase it that way. Yeah. Um, But I, so I just dove in. I mean, I remember I had a friend uh, who was getting married and I was like, Hey, like, can I film your wedding? And she was like, yeah, of course. I remember I made like $400 off the wedding. I was like, this is so cool. $400. But it was like right in that moment, I realized how serious video was to me. And it almost was like the first wedding that I filmed, I just knew. And I think that is that kind of like that business oriented mindset in my head. I've always been a fan of numbers. I've always been a fan of just like entrepreneurship, but never thought that that was like actually achievable for me. And so as soon as I did that, I was like, whoa. I think I could do this one day full time. I think I could scale this. I think that this would be so <laughs> much fun. Just from the first wedding, you're like, I have my plan. Yeah. I'm going to be a millionaire. Like yep. this is going to happen next week. And that is the planner in me where I just, I had to think of like this plan. And so I just dove right in. I did workshops. Actually, David, your craft 5k course was the first ed- piece of education I'd ever invested in. And yeah, so really full circle, circle moment here. Um, but I had done, I went to workshops, I did online courses, I did so many one-on-one mentorships and just dove in. And I basically was kind of like, I mean, I did not have the cash at that time as a broke college kid. Yeah, I'm like, how did you fund fund all of this stuff? It was a huge risk I took, but I knew like the mindset that I have, I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this work. And I feel like when you kind of put yourself in the trenches, that's when you're like, I've got to get out of it. Like I'm the only person that's going to do it. Oh my goodness. And so at that time that I'm diving into video, I also was again, going to college for accounting. And I realized that it, I mean, it's hard. And I think that there are a lot of people out there that struggle with this, that it's like not talked about enough. Like we're ingrained to believe that you have to go to college and you have to get a degree and you have to work a nine to five. And yeah, we see those entrepreneurs out there that aren't doing that, but we're not trained to believe that like that really could be us. And so as I'm diving into this, I'm still grappling with like family thoughts and friend thoughts and like what people back home would think about someone who was going to college, but also trying to become an entrepreneur. And I battled with that a lot. So even in this moment where it was like, no, I can make this full time. I was still doing internships in the accounting firms, still going to college. And I ended up graduating with a degree in in accounting, which I don't regret. I love it. It's helped me a lot with the business side of my own business, but it took so much for me to realize that that I could go down a different path. Like I actually could go down it. Cause again, I think we think so about it. Even in our that heads. like excitement that you had from the first wedding, it almost got like clouded, stolen a little mm-hmm. bit because you're like, I can do this. And then parents and then degree and all this. How did you, yeah, break through all that? Cause I feel like so many 
people are in that same lane of, hey, I have this passion for video or whatever it may be, but like, how do I tell my parents? Or, you know, my mom and her mom or my dad and his dad were lawyers and lawyers and like, I'm expected to be a doctor or a lawyer. And now I'm like, I'm watching YouTube videos, I'm filming weddings and how does that even compute? How did you get over that? Was it kind of just an overtime thing or was it something specific where you just like, oh, this is what I'm going to do and forget you guys. I'm just, this is my life now. Honestly, as much as I want to say that it was something where just like overnight, I just like mm -hmm. realized and changed and like it clicked. It, it was something that was so over time. I battled with it for a long time, honestly. Mm. Like they're just, you know, going home and it was like, hey, like I, you know, I got into video and I actually think I'm going to film more weddings and, and especially, mm. hey, like when I first brought it up, hey, I'm going to film full time. And, you know, you've got everyone kind of in your head going like, oh, how's that hobby going? Oh, how's your side gig? Oh, that was cool. I saw you at my friend's wedding or, oh, like, how's your degree? Oh, what are your plans after college? Like, when are you going to work? And it was, it's difficult. And I think so many people have felt that where it's just like for the longest time, even though in my head I knew like I want to make this something real, it was that clouded version because it was like, well, I still need to go do an, an internship at the accounting firm just in case, you know, just to make everyone happy. But over time, I realized that like, and, yeah, I, I wish I could say that it was something overnight. But I think it was just like, I realized how important and how much I loved this career as opposed to that traditional nine to five that I chose that over you just you kind of have to like as cliche as it sounds like choose yourself in that moment. And I just had to remind myself that every day, every conversation with family and friends, every conversation that someone would ask me about my degree or my plans after college or this hobby that I had, I really just every single time had to just almost like mentally fight myself through the conversation to be like, yeah, actually, um, I'm actually going to do video full time. I'm actually, you know, I travel for a living. I'm actually not going to use my accounting degree. And <laughs> And it's hard. So I wish I could almost yeah. say that there was like this easy like click, but I think it is this constant battle that you fight for a long time. But then honestly, when you're on the flip side, like I remember when I graduated, I never went to the nine to five. I instantly graduated with that degree and went right into and video. And just like threw it in the trash and you're like, yep. weddings, <laughs> there yeah. we go. Yeah. And now looking at my life, it's so worth, it was so worth every conversation. But had I been, had I let, those fears and insecurities like cloud me too much. I don't think I ever would have pursued this. And I think so many people are in that situation where they just, they feel like they can't make that jump because honestly the outside world influences us so much. Yeah. I like, I know for me when I started, cause I, I started doing video at, I think 17 or 18, like really, I mean, high school. And I remember, uh, in high school graduating and my parents are like, okay, pick a major and I wanted to do film, but specifically I wanted to do weddings. And I remember sitting down, I vividly remember like late one night, you know, kitchen lights on, the amber light. And I'm just sitting there and my dad's talking to me and he's like, so like, what do you want to do in film? You want to direct movies? You want to do like kind of the respectable things in film? I'm like, well, I've been watching this one. YouTube was super brand new and people like Ray Roman and Joe Simon and Patrick from Still Motion, which... If you're an OG, you probably know who I'm talking. I don't know if you know who I'm talking about. Ray Roman, I'm sure you do know. But yes. uh, 
Yeah, and they were charging like five thousand, six thousand for a wedding film, and this was like ten years ago. And I remember telling my dad, like, I'm going to be a filmmaker, and I'm going to charge five thousand for a wedding film. And I remember him just looking at me like, "Okay, David, but those are like the top of the top. Like, you don't know anything." In a nice way, and in like a fatherly way, right? Hey, I'm just trying to protect you. Like, it's cool that you're so passionate about this. Like you have to be realistic. Like only five people in the world charge that much, and you know you don't have the background. Like how are you going to break into this? Just as like a concerned dad. Absolutely. And I remember telling him like, oh, my business name is going to be. Even when I had been doing weddings for a little bit, and we switched to like forestry, they're like, no one's gonna, no one's gonna get that. Like they're going to think you sell trees or like you're a florist or something like that. And I just remember all those conversations because I'm kind of that person who like tell me I can't do something, and then I just <laughs> I want to do it that much more because I'm like I have to prove to myself that I can do this. And I remember thinking like, Dad, I'm going to charge more than five thousand for a wedding, and I'm going to do this. But I completely relate to that. Every family gathering, them being like, "So how's the uh, how's the like internet thing you're doing, or like the photo business and." So when do you get to the wedding? Do you just get there for like thirty minutes and like wait? You mean like a story? What does that mean? And just that whole confusion is—it's uh, hard. It's hard to push back past that for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and I even think that it's something that I mean, still to this day, like you kind of get a little bit. I mean, everyone does. Like the wedding industry is humongous. Like, I feel like this wedding industry is so huge, but like, if you put it in like worldwide perspective, like the wedding industry is just like a blip that no one knows about, you know, that no one knows about. And so I feel like I had kind of shifted my mindset into, instead of feeling like everyone was against it, I just realized that in the nicest, most respectful way that people aren't just, they're just not educated about this kind of job. And so I felt myself for so long, it was like, I, I went through this phase where it was like, I really had to felt like I had to prove myself. Every conversation that we had, it was like, hey, so yeah, I just did this wedding or hey, yeah, like I just did this wedding. And I, I just felt like every conversation was just like me proving myself to the people around me that like, hey, this is like legit. Yeah, I'm not but homeless. I, like, again, see, look, I'm doing something. Yeah, right, right. This is this is real. And then it just kind of got to that point where it was just like that kind of clicked in me where it was like, it's not that your family and your friends and those people are just so against your career because they don't know about it. They, I mean, you really think about it. They have, a lot of people have no idea what the wedding industry is like, nor what a videographer's world is like, and especially the generations above us. They didn't have, like you said, when you had started, like Ray Rowan was charging like five or $6,000 or whatever that yeah. looked like. So <laughs> and you're like, what? It just yeah, comes... that's cheap now. It's crazy. Right. Well, it's not cheap, but right. it's medium tier. And now like, it's crazy how much it's grown. Yeah. And so it just is like coming in with that perspective, like, especially for anyone that like really just like battles that like mental part with like family and friends and the outside world, like really just coming at it of like, they really just aren't educated on our career. And that is totally okay, but that doesn't mean that they're like against it. It just means that I, I, how cool that I get to be the person that kind of like provides that education that shows them that like, hey, this is a full-time, extremely sustainable career. And like, it's so cool, you know, I don't know. Yeah, that you can like bring them in and be like, I'm actually gonna be excited about this and get excited about showing you this new cool thing. It's kind of like, 
a new product comes out that you're really excited about and you tell your friends and family and they're like, whoa, that's so cool. And so often, like you said, I think it's so easy as humans to get in that defensiveness mindset to feel like, oh, you're arguing with me now. I feel like I'm not good enough. And all of a sudden you're running your business out of fear, which is kind of like uh, it works, It's but it's like a dirty energy and it, it runs out at a certain point. But if you run it off of hey, actually these people want the best for me and I actually have talent, I actually have something to give and serve the world with, you have that kind of clean energy to actually love others and then they get excited about it and then they're like part of your business team, I like to say, of like the people, the foundation of everything that you're doing. I'm curious off that though, because I'm sure you had it doubly hard being a girl doing video because even that's a whole nother layer of education and totally subverting the narrative and the whole thing. So I was hoping that you could kind of speak to other females who are maybe where you were three or four years ago where they might be in a degree that they're not stoked on or doing something that they're not excited about and their parents and friends around them are kind of like, are you sure? Like maybe you can give some very like practical things that you found really turn the needle for those people in your life that were a little bit more on the fence. Like was it, what type of conversations did you have with them or was it more just them seeing you not give up? Like what, what, what could someone do if they find themselves there to get past those hurdles? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've, I've literally been there like mm, to a T yeah. so I can completely yeah. relate to this. And especially in a, a very male dominated field, um, it was different, you know, being a female coming into the industry and especially like when I had started, like there were hardly, and I mean, I still think like there's really not a lot of solo female filmmakers out there, especially in the education space. And so for if me, there are females, they're married basically right, to, right. they do it together. Yeah. Exactly. Like in a couple duo, which is fantastic. And I know so many couple duos with just like these female filmmakers that so inspire me. Like, oh my gosh, they're amazing. But when I had started, there was no one for me to look up to, to be like, hey, like where is another female educator in this space that's doing it alone, that's been in my shoes. And, and I mean that, and which I know we'll talk about later, like really transitioned into like my passion for being an educator to like kind of be that person that's like, hey, like, I am here. I've been in your shoes. Like I'm still do climbing the mountain too, but like here we are together. And I really would say like for anyone who has been there or is there right now, like that's battling with that. I think the biggest thing that you can do is really have this, it's almost like this, like self-talk, this self-realization, because here's the reality. The outside forces around you are not going to change. You are not going to change your family. You are not going to change your friends. You're not going to change the outside world from questioning if your career is worth it or good enough. That you cannot change those people. They're going to have to change themselves. Um, and so for me, when I was feeling this, where it was like, I feel like I have to be defensive. I'm so scared. I have to keep doing these internships. I have to consider the nine to five because I felt like that was my only option. And I really just sat myself down one night and said, you know what? Again, like coming from that like education perspective where it was like, I need to stop thinking about what everyone else is going to think about me because I can't change that. I cannot change that. I can't keep coming at it with this like fear perspective. And so I feel like if you can sit there and really hone into the fact of instead of me being defensive, I want to educate. Um, and, and I don't say that as like in, as being like a, a videographer educator, like not that kind of space, but just like, 
I want to educate the people around me. I want to just show them in such like a healthy way, um, you know, what I'm doing and honestly realizing, and this is the biggest realization, there are going to be moments where you're going to be your own, your, your own cheerleader. And you might be the only cheerleader that you have for yourself for a moment. And so just recognizing that alone, I think a lot of people hear this and they think, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then they move forward and they move on and they don't really take it. But genuinely like sit with that, sit with that, realize that, yeah, there are going to be moments where I'm going to be my own biggest cheerleader. I'm going to be the only person in my own corner. But if you love what you're doing enough, you can make this work. And so I sat down and I really honed in on that. And I told myself that when moving forward, I put myself in those situations where I'm getting questions thrown at me or accusations or just like all those conversations and all these pressures of society, I would always come back in the moment. Like sometimes when I'm having the conversation to be like, you know what, am I getting a little bit defensive? Because I think instead of being defensive, I just need to remember that, you know, my grandparents have no idea what I would, like, like, let's just give an example. Like my grandparents have no idea. Grandma, 4K is the future. And she's like, uh, what is YouTube? (laughs) Or even just friends or like going, you know, when I would go back to my hometown and visit family members and they asked me, like, even in the moment of those conversations, just like remembering the conversation that I had with myself, um, that self-realization. And honestly, genuinely, like I said, as cliche as it sounds, I think that that's, the biggest thing you can do for yourself. And I, and I, because you can't change the people around you. You can't change those pressures of society that those pressures of society are always going to be there tempting you that the nine to five is what you need to do. And your family members, again, they aren't educated on our space to know enough that what you're doing is going to be something that's long-term and sustainable. And so you're going to be your own biggest cheerleader at moments. And you're going to be the only person sometimes that, you just have to give this fresh perspective of education as opposed to doing it out of fear and being defensive and really like listen to that and don't just move forward and say, no, like I need something like tangible because the only like, you know, tangible or, or maybe even practical things would be to change perspectives of other people around you. But really like just sit in that. And I use that for every conversation that I had moving forward, for every fear, for every moment of self-doubt and I would come back to that conversation of realizing one are are the people around me who are thinking these things or the pressures of society do they actually know you know what I'm doing is an, is enough and the answer was no and I couldn't change that so it was just I'm going to come at it with the very educational perspective and also recognizing that there are going to be times where I'm my own cheerleader and that's okay and that mindset pushed me through every hardship of diving into the video industry to where now, now having this perspective where people are seeing what I'm doing in this like career that I've built, built, like I'm okay with that. You know what? My, my biggest flex is what I do that people don't know about the life that I get to live, the career that I've built. My biggest flex is that I don't have to prove that to anyone and they don't know. And that honestly is so cool. (laughs) That is so cool to just be like, Hey, this is what I'm passionate about. And regardless if the money's there or if people approve or not, I just feel like this is what I was made to do and running after that almost unapologetically. And I think that gives the fuel to throw off some of the things is kind of like you said, 
in a cliche way, it's kind of, I think of the Lego movie. I don't know if you've seen it where there's like, there's a cat poster and it says like, believe in yourself. It's, it's kind of one of those things that you just have to do foundationally to be like, Hey, there's a reason why I'm interested in filmmaking. I've made a couple films. They're really, really solid. Even if no one else sees that, I'm going to at least give myself one year, two years to just run after it. I may never have this moment ever again. Like I'm reminded of I think it was an Elon Musk interview where the interviewer was asking him, like, hey, what advice would you give to young people? And you would think, like, oh, go to a good college, like, do this degree, like, do something, blah, blah, blah. But he was kind of like, hey, realize that if you're in your 20s, 20s to 30s, even mid-30s, like, you're never, ever going to have this time again. And so if you want to, Go, like, quit your job. Don't go to college. Do something that you're passionate about. And he's like, you probably will fail because life is hard. And I think as business owners in this, like, like you got this culture where it seems like it's almost wrong to fail because it's like, oh, if you run after your passions, then everything will just work out. But unfortunately, like, it doesn't always pan out that way. But the victory is, like, you win just by doing the thing that you're passionate about regardless if you make the money, if you become this voice in the industry or not. And that's kind of what Elon was saying is like, hey, you'll never have this time again. Even if you fail, take two to three years, go move back in with your parents, do what you need to do to just start that business, like uh, film that wedding, you know, do that thing that you're so scared of because even if it fails, what you'll learn character-wise will give you that self-assurance to be like, hey, I did the thing that I was most scared of and now whatever I do next, if it's this thing or something else, it's not going to matter as much to me what my grandparents think or my friends think. Um, but I love that whole heart of educating them and then them becoming kind of the cheerleaders in your corner, seeing the success that you've had. Um, what I kind of want to transition to in your story is I know you started and just excitement, and you're at Best Buy with the drone and the camera, and you're like, I got this, and then all the self-doubt and kind of like gradually coming out of that. Um, but I also know during that journey, because I've been following you for a while, I think since you took the Craft 5K course, and I've noticed a very uh, distinct shift in, obviously, your assurance as a filmmaker and then also the brand in general. And just in preparation for this podcast, I was kind of going through your Instagram and going back through the original post now to the newer post. I'm like, oh my goodness, there's like an Emma back here. and There's like an Emma right here. Um, I feel like the Emma when you first started was like, okay, my brand is very much, I'm sorry if I'm misreading this, but it felt like very, uh, I'm trying to find the right words, like I'm going to be this kind of like how do I say it, like a summer camp, like wedding filmmaker, like I film people who like love Patagonia and being outside, not necessarily like distinguished or artsy or whatever. It's just like, I want to film like summer camp (laughs) wedding films. Uh, Sorry if that's insulting. I'm just trying to like communicate (laughs) in the right way. I love the summer camp term. I love it. Okay, good. (laughs) No, but it's true. Very elopement-y too. With the wilderness of Oregon, like that's the state I grew up in. And in Oregon, it's way more popular to do elopements as opposed to luxury weddings. And so I thought that that was the route that I was going to go. And then now you're in this like luxury, kind of more mature, a little more high end, well, definitely more high end weddings. Like, I want you to kind of talk to that journey because I I get so many questions from filmmakers who are in that more elopement space that 
summer camp, <laughs> if you will, space. And they're like, how the heck do I break from this to that? Like, they just don't even know what that process is. Like, what was that process for you? What were some key things that you did that really helped you not just rebrand yourself to a more luxury kind of outdoorsy filmmaker, but like a totally different brand? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I think too, like it's first off, it's so attainable and it can't, you can shift that way in your business because that's exactly what I did. I have only been running this business for four years and I've gone from complete elopement weddings. I've gone from, you know, $400 for my first wedding to now like my highest wedding was 27,000 this year in year four. And to me, that was something that I just never, ever thought was attainable, let alone was it attainable, especially like just looking back at, at past generations, that process can be a lot slower, but it, it, it is so attainable. And I think the biggest things for me was I, again, started in Oregon where I was from Portland. Everything was very elopement centered, just being the land, the natural beauty of Oregon, Mount Hood, Cannon Beach, the coast. Everyone was doing a lot of elopements, which I thought was super fun and I loved it. And it was definitely like a great way for me to get into this space. And then the more that I really dove into my career and what I was passionate about was I started to realize like I really love like the industrial, the urban space. Um, I actually started to love big weddings, which I think a lot of people disagree with, but that's okay. Um, it's, it's not for everyone. Like the, and there is no, um, and I think it's really important maybe to say this before I kind of talk about the process. There is no ladder to success in what you film in this industry. I think that a lot of people think that the luxury market is kind of like this end all do all. Like if you are successful, that's where you end up. Um, and I just really like, I just hate that narrative, honestly, because even in my own experience, like I realized the luxury market, there is no end all do all. Um, you can, your end all do all could look like a beautiful elopements, could look like beautiful luxury weddings, could be budget weddings. Your success is going to look different than mine. And so I really like, especially moving forward, talking about the luxury market, I do want to say that because I just think that mindset wise, we can get really caught up in believing that the luxury market's just kind of like that end all do all, but it really isn't for everyone. It really is not for everyone. Me sitting here saying that like, I love filming big weddings in the city. Someone could be like, Oh gosh, like, no, I want to be on the beach, like filming a beautiful elopement. I want to be like hiking a mountain. And for me, I'm like, I don't want to hike the mountain. I want to stay in the city in a hotel where I can (laughs) pull up and get valet from my car and walk up. Um, but really like, I just want to say that just because I, I do think that that's something that is almost just like kind of this, the narrative in society that there is like this ladder to the niches that you have to do in order to like be successful. But with that being said, for me, what that transition looked like, um, I just one day like really started to realize that I love like the industrial, the urban type feel. Like I loved working with clients who were really um, into the design. Like I really loved the florals. I loved the details. And so I realized, especially with just like my own personality and who I am, like I'm pretty, you know, quote unquote, like extra of a person and I love it. But I also realized like I love bride and grooms who were that way too. Like I loved bride and grooms who had the focus on the details and loved the design of their wedding and loved putting on this big production. And there was nothing wrong with that. I just realized that was what I really loved. And so I knew like, okay, hey, I would love to be filming celebrity weddings. I would love to be filming high profile athletes. And so I kind of realized that was my target market. But here I am today in at the moment in Oregon, not having anything under my portfolio to even market that at 
all. Um, and so essentially really how I got in was like, I first recognizing that, Hey, like I want to step into the luxury market and realizing that in order for me to step into the luxury market, I was going to have to have a portfolio that showcased it. Bride and grooms were not going to just planners. We're not just going to just take a crazy risk on me when they see no type of luxury wedding on my Instagram or my website or my social media. But also, and I know a lot of people are in this situation. Well, how do you get the first gig? How do you get someone to trust you, right? And so for right. me, I realized, okay, I needed a portfolio that was going to back this up. And so if I'm not able to get a real luxury wedding right off the bat, which was definitely not going to happen for me, I was going to use styled shoots and I was going to network like crazy to start building what looked like that portfolio. And so I invested into some styled shoots with some high-end planners that I wanted to like go create content for. Um, I did a ton of networking and I actually like created what are called like the networking templates that have literally, like I just get all crazy talking about it cause I just believe in it, believe in it with my whole life. But anyways, I had made, created these email templates that I was like, okay, I've done these styled shoots, styled shoots at the first, first and foremost, sorry, I'm jumping all around here. No, you're great. You're great. Styled shoots first and foremost were like my biggest help right off the bat. Because again, in order for me to network with these planners, in order for me to network with these venues, with these high end, with these luxury client, this luxury clientele, I needed the portfolio to back it up. And so, and yes, even though looking at it, it's like, yeah, I had good enough films that were like elopement films or like weddings, you know, like budget weddings in Portland. I did not have any type of content that was showing this high end planner that I could tackle the luxury market. And so me investing in these styled shoots, me reaching out and working with some high-end planners for content for them, that was everything. Because then I was able to kind of build this portfolio. I all of a sudden became really selective about what I posted. Um, I know there's that, like we could go down so many rabbit holes on this topic, but I know that a lot of people get really caught up in thinking that they have to post everything. Right, um, right. And that is its own struggle. I totally get it. But I realized like if I share everything, I'm never going to transition transition to a different market. And I just became really selective about what I posted. I invested in these styled shoots. Even for the weddings that I was still filming, I would fixate on these certain moments, these certain details that maybe I could film their details with like these gorgeous shadows that would really give off this luxe vibe and use that into my Instagram and into my website. And so just being super selective, pouring into these style shoots to where I could kind of build this portfolio. Um, and then that next thing was, was networking. That was exactly how I got into the luxury market was networking with luxury planners, um, with luxury venues. And as I had mentioned before, I had basically created this email, um, that, really felt like instead of selling to someone, I was building a relationship with them first. And I had sent this email to like, oh my gosh, honestly, to like 20, maybe 30 different planners. Like, I know that sounds, cr I know that sounds crazy. <laughs> like that makes my heart feel like, oh, that's yeah. so many. Like, yeah. what if they all don't get back? And you're like, oh, I just spammed the world. Right. What do I do now? Yeah. Well, and I had realized too, like, especially like in this market, like, and they were like 30, like around the States. So, I mean, out of all 50 uh, States, okay. you've got like, oh man, like 30 is a blip in how many like luxury wedding yeah, planners there really yeah. are out there. But I had formulated this email template to what really felt like I was focused on every single email was like tailored to like their brand. Um, and again, wasn't feeling like it was just this cold call email. 
And so anyways, I had sent this out and I was blown away by the responses that I had gotten. I had a few wedding planners. I remember one, I had sent this email within 24 hours, a wedding planner responded to me who was based down, who was based in Dallas and was like, Hey, are you free June 24th for a wedding in Laguna beach, California? And within 48 what? hours, I had this wedding booked. It was crazy. And it was the highest package I'd ever booked. I was blown away. Come to find out, it was the lawyer for the Dallas Mavericks that I oh filmed their wedding. And that just trickle effect. And so these emails all of a sudden were just becoming crazy for me. I was booking weddings off of them. I was meeting these planners who they had felt... An, great enough connection that it wasn't just like this cold call, but it was a personal connection, which we're not going to get into it, but I created those emails and I actually, with the results of them, made them actual templates that you can buy. Um, you can go to my website, mkfilms.com, but <laughs> it, we're not going to make this about It'll be selling. in the show notes. It'll be down there. Okay, Everyone yeah. can click we're it. Not, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to make this about selling, but th- those emails truly completely shifted and just even just getting in with one planner, then trickled in with getting in with another client with then with another planner. And I just wanted to connect with as many people as I could. And that is what, honestly, like a lot of people think like the luxury market is pretty tight knit. Like I was that person on the outside wondering, when am I going to get in with them? When are, when is somebody going to, when am I going to be filming? Notice me. Like we feel like it is like this kind of click. And for a while I had that mentality of like, ah, I'm never going to be in the click. And I realized like my whole mind shift had to change on that because yeah, the luxury market's pretty tight knit. And the reason why is because when you have clients who are spending hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars on their weddings, planners cannot afford to just take crazy risks on videographers and bring in vendors who aren't going to do an outstanding job. And so I had to just shift that mindset. Okay. I get it. Yeah. Yes. The reality is, yeah, the luxury market's pretty tight knit. It's pretty hard to get into. But me realizing that and coming to terms with that was, okay, well, how can I impress them? How can I prove to them that I'm going to show up, that I'm going to be here and I've got the portfolio to back it up? And that was when I invested in those styled shoots. I built my portfolio up and then I just networked with as many planners as possible to where then when I had that one wedding that my first luxury wedding in Laguna Beach and I could showcase the crap out of it and use that film to then help me get leads with other planners. And once you, once you get into the space, it's crazy. Like it is all about who knows you, you know, it's not about who, you know, it's about who knows you. And as soon as I had got in, it's like this trickle effect now of where like planners will just refer you and come to you for their work. And you don't need this crazy, huge, like social media marketing plan anymore. Like it's wild, which is completely against what I would have taught a year ago. Um, but I've just realized like how different that space is and I'm still learning. And you know, like, I mean, honestly, I feel like I'm at the bottom of the ladder here, like just climbing my way to the top. But, um, yeah, networking, I know I went on such a tangent, but I feel like it's such a big topic. Networking really is what changed everything. And I feel like you have to network the right I hate saying like right and wrong way. You have to network. <laughs> well, you can't be a jerk, you know, like that would be a wrong way. Right. I would think. Yeah. I think it's like networking with intention. Like you have to network with true intention. You can't go in there and write cold emails and just like spam them. You can't go in and just try to establish yourself thinking that you're the best of the best. You really have to think, what benefit can I bring to the table? 
that planner that you're about to reach out to, they have no reason to like extend their welcoming arms to bring you into their circle. If you know, they've already got their circle. So what can you bring to the table that's going to make them think, oh, I want to take a risk. I want to work with them. Okay. Because again, I came in with no connection. I came in not having at, at the moment, like everyone in the luxury space, they were my mentors. There was no one who got me in. It was, I was going to finally sit here and say, okay, how do I get in? How do I prove to these planners, prove to these venues that I can bring benefit to the table and impress them and then start building this portfolio that showcased it. And once you're there, I really feel like it just is this trickle effect. Which is crazy because people are probably listening to this being like, but I've tried and it hasn't been <laughs> like the gates have just opened for me. And a couple, I mean, that was fantastic. Super, super good. And I just have like so many questions off of little things <laughs> that you said. Uh, it was going to be like part three of this podcast. But uh, like when you say networking, that is such, obviously everyone's like nodding their heads. Yes, networking. We hear this all the time. And I, I want to hone in on one thing you said about providing value to these planners because you're so right. They have no need or reason to bring you into their fold. If anything, you're going to be a liability and you're going to cause more just issues than you are. It's it's all for you in a sense of like, so what did you do specifically to cause them to see, like what did Emma do that caused them to be like, oh, I'm willing to take a risk on you because that that's massive. Besides just your portfolio that looked the part, because I'm sure, like I've talked to a couple planners, and especially now in when wedding education is more prevalent, there's a lot more filmmakers trying to vie for those top planners because it's become more of a thing to just reach out. Like what, what can filmmakers do to actually show that value? What did you do to cause people to take a risk on you? Yeah, so I would say the biggest things that I did that provided value was was first recognizing their brand. And I used a lot of that in my email templates was I wanted to take the time to show them that I actually understand their, their brand, their, their style. I think a lot of us go in and we just say, Hey, like hire me, please. Like I'll do great work for you. But I wasn't taking the time to realize, okay, are the planners I want to get in with, are they actually, is their style? And I think this is a good example their Instagram. Does it, would they share your work? Do you feel like their style resonates with yours? And if the answer is no, there could be a good chance that you might not be a great like vendor for them. And so first part was just recognizing their brand was, okay, actually, if I'm reaching out to a planner, like, and again, it's like all about intentional networking. Like, am I reaching out to a planner that, you know, quote unquote, would they share my work on their Instagram? Doesn't mean they have to, but would they? And if the answer is yes, okay, well then our styles could align and they could have clients that are going to be beneficial for me. But then the second thing is showing them that you recognize their brand. And so in my emails, I go through, I actually go through every planner that I am networking with. I will go onto their website and find keywords um, of their brand. I will go on and see their style. Like, are they, um, are they using the word refined, editorial, um, maybe like dramatic and moody? Are they using um, like those keywords? And I'm actually going to tailor my email to that because I want to show them that I'm not just cold networking with you. I've taken the time to really understand as much as I can about your brand, about your style, and then use that to my advantage where then when that planner's reading it, 
they're like, oh, wow. Okay, great. Emma actually like understands, like she's using the same keywords that I use for my brand, which means she must get it. So that it's such a little detail, but it goes a long way. Because again, if I'm getting an email from someone that just sounds like you could have copy and pasted it to a billion other people, like I could care less, honestly, because it doesn't show that you've actually done the research on your part. So that first stage is really the research. Have you done the research on who you want to network with? The second thing is, again, realizing like, what can I bring to the table? And so when I first got into the, when I first was working on getting into just the high-end market, the luxury market, um, and I was work trying to get in with these planners, I wanted to bring value to them. And so for me, I was like, hey, you know, like, can I create, I would love to create like a behind the scenes video for you. Um, I would love to take a few, like send you a reel. And I think a lot of And us- this was all just like free. You say, I'll just do this for you. Yep. Like pro bono. Absolutely. And I think okay. when I say that, I never offered more. Like I would maybe send over like one reel. Okay. So I think a lot of us feel like, oh my gosh, well, we, I have to like offer like, five or six videos and all of a sudden now it's like eating at and it's just taking so much time because the reality is none of us have that time but even just extending an arm to saying like hey I would love to create you know a small behind the scenes reel of you like designing the tablescape before I shoot the details um and really social media oh, like at the wedding yeah at the wedding oh okay, yeah okay, okay. and so um that way it's like I could put them in that sense now before I even had this portfolio before I even had the portfolio to back anything up, I would send emails where it was like, I was reaching out to planners and saying like, Hey, like, could I could come create some content for you? Do you have like, or if there was a styled shoot, like, could I come early and create like a reel for the planner of her, like designing the tablescape and then like the details and sending that over. It never became anything. I was very strategic about it. I could not wear myself out, but I also knew I was going to have to bring value to the table. I was going to have to get my name out there. And so even just extending an arm and saying like, hey, I'd love to create one reel for you was enough to just get me in a little bit. And so once I had made those styled shoots, I really tailored my social media marketing to just be like, I mean, if you go and look at my Instagram, like my highlight films are genuinely few and far between, honestly. You'll see like reels that are like five seconds long. You'll see reels that are just like one clip or maybe two. Um, I really took the small amount of what I had. Hmm. And And just milked it. And totally milked it. So that way I could show this portfolio. I could get in. I could say, hey, like I would love to come create some behind the scenes for you. Then I make a reel that I can send to a planner who I just want to just impress the heck out of. Um, and so in those emails, I really focused on, do I understand your brand? Have I done the research that you're going to notice and what can I bring to the table for you? And for me, that was, can I create a behind the scenes reel for you on the wedding day? Um, or sometimes it was like offering like a teaser for the couple. Um, I want, especially getting in the luxury market, we need the portfolio to market. I'm going to make a teaser regardless, especially for my first few weddings. I was like, I'm going to make a teaser regardless because I need this in my portfolio. So, Hey, let me use that to get in with the planner. Um, but all that to say, I really believe that you have to have the portfolio to back it up. I think that is the biggest thing because I do think a lot of people go in and think, well, no, I've emailed all these planners and I've done the work. And no one's getting back to me. (laughs) Why aren't they getting back to me? And I do want to talk about that portfolio side of it because I was on on a coaching call the other day and someone was like, what is fine art? What is luxury? And I think for some people, and it's few and far between, 
we might grow up or our personal style might be more mature or more luxurious. And we kind of have a almost intuition on what luxury is. So we know, oh, our current work isn't that. And we know how to transition to this. And we forget that most filmmakers, I think specifically filmmakers are very behind just when it comes to style and fashion, which really pushes the whole luxury mindset. And I'm trying to like, be careful with this, but I feel like if you don't live in the meccas of like Los Angeles or uh, New York or kind of those more fashion forward states or countries, it's really hard to even to know what is that higher end market because you have someone who's in Ohio and they're like, I want to break into this higher end market. And they think, oh, it just means going to my next barn wedding and making it bright and airy with a LUT. And that's it. And they're like, I keep doing these styled shoots that are in barns. And like, I keep reaching out to these planners in LA and they're just never getting back to me. So I don't know if it's even possible to do on a podcast, but maybe you could talk of certain things that really make an LA wedding that is, or, you know, a high-end Portland wedding or a high-end Amangiri wedding distinctly different other than the fact that these people have money because I don't think that's really what makes it of course they have money they can get the nicer things but talk maybe specifically about the style of decor that they have the style of photographer that they hire the clothing that they wear the color palette that they tend to kind of be in that could really talk to someone who's in Ohio Arkansas who just really like this is actually what luxury is it's not just a nicer version of what you're doing. It's actually a whole separate style. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I'm going to try to talk on it the best I can, not having shown anything, but I think... <laughs> right. It's so it's so difficult. But I will say um, you can be in Ohio and Arkansas and get into the luxury market. I was in... I got in... I started in Portland, but I will say... I had to travel. So I lived in Portland, but the Portland market, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just say it, if there's any people in, in Portland listening and that disagrees. <laughs> they know. They already know, I'm sure. The Portland market totally caps out. There is not a luxury market in Portland. There is a high-end market in Portland, and that is great, but there's not a luxury market. So you don't... And when you say luxury, what do you... like? What do you mean? Because high... Right, yeah. right. No, that's because that's true. Because there definitely is a difference between high-end and luxury. You know, you've got like your high-end weddings that are maybe like, uh, maybe like, like 90,000, 100,000, maybe like 150,000. Then you get into the luxury space that's really kind of like, could be that like 200,000 above. So with that being said, I just want to say that I think that you can be based in any state that you want to and get into the luxury market, but you do have to come to that reality of, is there actually a luxury market in my state? And for me in Portland, there was not a true luxury market. And if there was, there was maybe like one crazy destination wedding that happened there. Um, but there's not a full blown market. So I realized, okay, Hey, I need to pivot myself to Los Angeles because that is the closest large large city with luxury weddings there. Malibu, Laguna Beach, Newport, um, that whole space there, I realized there was a luxury market. And essentially when I'm thinking of luxury, because I, I, I love this topic, honestly, because especially I'm trying to talk about it without showing it, but luxury isn't exactly your specific style. This was a huge fear that I had coming into the luxury market where I was like, 
I definitely align with more of that earthy toned, darker, moodier-ish edit where all the, at all the luxury filmmakers that I, a lot of them that I see, a lot of them shoot super fine art, light and airy, bright. Again, nothing wrong with it at all. But when I got in, I was like, is there space for me? Is there space for a videographer who's in the luxury market who doesn't shoot super bright and airy and like fine art, um, who shoots more on that editorial darker style? And so I think first, like recognizing that like you also can come in with whatever style that you want, but as what you had asked, what really defines that luxury style? And a lot of it is genuinely like, it is, it's hard. I'm like, I wish I could just like pull up my work and be like, hey, Harry, look at this. It, it had like this big buildup. I'm like, she's going to drop just a bomb right now. And you're like, actually, I don't um, know what I'm talking about. No, <laughs> no, but, no, no, not that. But like when, so looking at, okay, maybe could you rephrase the question a little bit for me? Yeah. I No, it's even hard for me to describe because it, it's more of, is there a certain style that more luxury weddings have in terms of like, maybe what I'm more specifically thinking of, because I hear everything that you're talking about in terms of styled shoots and having that portfolio so that planners can see that. But I also think there's like a personal brand too that needs to be a part of that, where like what you present yourself like on your about page and in about photos on your Instagram and your website has to actually feel luxurious um, for this market. So I guess my question is twofold. It's one is what, how should your personal style and how you present yourself change breaking into the luxury market? Like, do you wear different clothes? Like just a very like practical way of what should you wear in your about photo? How do you show up? What do you wear on a wedding? So there's that one phase of the question. And then the second phase of that question is like, if I'm a filmmaker wanting to show specifically luxury weddings on my Instagram to reach out to these planners, what does that like? Is that church weddings? Is that uh, industrial type, like uh, smog shop, like LA weddings? Is that like practical, maybe even venue examples of like this, this would be kind of like a luxury-esque venue that I would shoot and I could like a planner would also shoot there at, or this, even though people spent a lot of money, I wouldn't necessarily showcase this venue or even more practical, like I did this wedding and the groom was wearing this and the bride was wearing this and the florals were like this, even though I had a lot of fun and the couple spent a lot of money because of how the florals were designed, the suit that the groom was wearing, the dress that the bride was wearing and the venue that they were at, it wouldn't technically fit in to this high-end LA, New York, you know, type luxury markets. I don't, I don't even know. I'm, I'm more asking this question as just curiosity. I don't even know if there's a simple answer. So it's totally fine if you're like, well, actually, it's, it's hard to say uh, because it, it really just depends what the planner gives me. Like I've done luxury celebrity weddings where I get there, I'm like, this is kind of basic, but I'm here. Like, and that's a great answer too. I'm just more curious. Yeah. No. Okay. I love it. And and thank you so much for rephrasing it a little bit. Cause I was like, I, I just don't want to like fill this with fluff and be like, yeah, <laughs> right. but now that we rephrased yeah. it, I feel like it was I probably my fault. I'm idea. sorry. Oh no, not I, at all. Hopefully I laid it out a little bit better. No, I, I, okay. I'm definitely following, uh, more. So for the personal branding, yes. When I dove into the luxury market, knowing that that was what I wanted, the market that I wanted to get into my brand entirely changed. Um, I no longer, 
wanted people to realize that I was 23 years old, especially that. People in the luxury market are looking for people with experience, obviously with experience. And so I wanted to come in knowing that like, hey, I look experienced and I'm professional. Um, obviously the luxury market is professional, right? It's definitely not laid back like, it, or it, it, you know, like you've got like elopements that are, are like more laid back with the timelines going to like a luxury wedding, which is like super strict on the timeline. And so with that came this, like, I wanted to showcase my brand very professionally and very mature. Um, I did not, and to this day, do not want planners to come on my website or come onto my socials and be like, oh my gosh, she sounds like a little 23-year-old who's just, you know, like all over the place. I needed to sound like I could be. This is kind of fascinating. I feel like you're just creating this avatar of yourself, which is really cool. What were certain things that you did to distinctly set yourself as, oh, I'm not 23, which sounds like such a weird thing to say, but I, I totally get where you're going with that. Like, what were those things? Two things was the way that I dressed and the way that I, the way that I spoke on my social media. Um, one, the way that I dressed, even, even when you're trying to get into luxury wedding, the odds are you're still probably filming budget weddings or high-end weddings or not your ideal client weddings. Even to those weddings, I would wear a suit. I would dress to the nines for it because here's the thing. You have no idea who could be at that wedding, who could book you for it. And I wanted to, from that day forward, start establishing this brand of professionalism and maturity. And so every wedding moving forward, I would wear a suit. I would wear all black. I would wear um, just really look the part um, that gave off this very professional, mature vibe. Um, so I think the way that you dress and the way that you um, – like that, that, it does play a role um, as opposed to me wearing, you know, a Patagonian jacket and some jeans and like some sneakers. Like I'm going to be thought of differently in a all black full suit. Like they're going to be like, wow, this woman like looks like she knows what she's doing. Um, so the way that I dressed, also the way that I dressed and appeared on social media. Like I now I'm really careful about like what I share and what I'm posting because I'm always thinking like who is going to be watching this. Um, and if I'm doing something like if I'm sharing like too much of my personal life on there, like what are the odds that a planner sees that and then gets that vibe that then turns them away from being like, no, like that is the brand. And I think you don't want to lose yourself. So I say, I really say that again too, because I knew that I wanted to get into the luxury market. I wasn't just creating like I wasn't shifting everything I've ever known or mm. been like. I, <laughs> like just I just want to erase of... my whole childhood, my parents, right. every relationship I've yeah. ever had. I just eat, sleep, breathe, luxury. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just really started to like mature myself into like evolve into this person that I was going to become just a little bit sooner. And so the other part to it was actually like speaking and like showing my face on social media. And just when I spoke, instead of coming at it with just this like super giddy, um, I sound like a high school girl type of vibe, I wanted to come at it with more maturity. I wanted to focus more on like really the deeper feelings and connections of my brand and who I was and my style and the art that I create. And even just by like talking that way, um, and really digging into like that different side of me, um, that allowed people to connect with me better and really see again, this more professional, mature brand. And that did come. So did you have this like Emma 2.0 in your brain that you would channel when you're like on Instagram lives or talking and you're like, Oh, wait, wait, okay. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not high school anymore. Like this is like all black. 
Emma, and this is like super serious and everything is everything I say, you know, pay attention to, or was it not that calculated? No, not, you, I wouldn't, you, okay. I wouldn't say that calculated. Cause yeah, I, I'm like, it definitely sounds like when I say this, that it just sounds like this like completely different version of myself. <laughs> like, like it sounds like you're creating this like a uh, superhero personality of like, oh, yeah. this is, this is dark Emma and this is me over here. Right, <laughs> yeah. right. No, I, it definitely like wasn't that calculated and maybe even to like backpedal a little bit on it. I just, when I realized that I wanted to get into the luxury market, I looked at people who were in the luxury market. I looked at other filmmakers who were in the luxury market and I looked at photographers who were in that space and I looked at planners who were in that space. And I just kind of studied the way they communicated, the way that they held their self. And then when I had done that research, again, there was that deep fear in me that, well, I'm not super fine art, light and airy style. Is there room for me? And I realized there is room for me and to embrace that side of me to where people wanted to connect with me. And so it from there, it was, okay, what does Emma like? Emma loves wearing all black and like dressing up. I love dressing up. That's the human I've always been like. So that for me wasn't a change. And then especially when it came to the communication, I just really decided being that I have a different style than maybe what a lot of other luxury filmmakers have, I really want to hone into that and like really hone into the art of my um, my craft. And so that came with writing captions that felt professional, that felt mature, that felt with stories that when I'm showing my face, like there are sometimes where I'm showing my face on my stories and I'm like super happy and giddy. Like there are those moments, but I'm thinking like, what does the background look like? Like, what am I wearing? Like, am I still showing, like you want to show your true self, just add that like professional, like maturity to it. So I hope that that makes sense because it's not about creating an avatar that's not you. At the end of the day, like I am in this market fully me and who I am. And I think that you can be that. I just think that we have to look it at- It was almost like you were also changing personally along with your brand. You're kind of like, hey, not only do I see my brand wanting to get to this next level, but me, myself as a person, I want to be more mature. I want to be like- really owning myself as a business owner, as someone who is confident to be able to tackle the luxury market. So it was kind of like both grew together and it wasn't like, oh, I'm actually still this completely different person. And whenever I go to a wedding or my brand, it's not me and I feel like I'm faking it. It's two and two in the same or one in the same. Yeah. Yeah. It was that realization. It was a hard realization. I really put into focus that I am only 23 years old and I've only been in the industry for four years. That was a huge disadvantage for me because I did not have the experience. I did not have the portfolio to back it up. And I didn't have an age that is necessarily just loved by all these luxury planners when they hear that I'm a 23 year old. And so for me, I had the shift that, that narrative, that perspective into, I don't want people to think that I am your typical 23 year old, you know, crazy giddy college girl. I needed people to realize that I am professional, that I am mature. And so I needed to let those things speak for me because again, I didn't have 10 years in the industry where I'm coming at this from this perspective of like, yeah, I've been in the industry for 10 years. I'm 30 years old. I, I already have this professional side. I had to come at it with, there is a stereotype against the, you know, 20, 20, 21, 22, 23 year olds that have this like younger mindset where we do get shifted into that college kid 
mindset mentality that we're not grown up. We don't have that experience. And that wasn't the narrative that I wanted to go with. And so that was why I had to shift and think, okay, like, hey, yeah, I want to dress professionally. I want to talk professionally. I want to be mature because not only is that genuinely who I am, but because I have to break the narrative of what other people might think of a 23-year-old trying to break into the luxury market. No, I love that. It's like so intentional the whole way through. It's not just- 1,000%. I want to get into this new market. It's literally looking at what is every aspect that makes up this market that I want to get into rather than just, oh, I want to film these kind of weddings down to how does this market talk? What are they into? How do they dress? What do they buy? What kind of clothes do they wear? Uh, what kind of movies do they watch? Music do they listen to? What's their income bracket? Who are their friends? What do their friends do? And how do I almost think about it as would I fit in with their friend group? Even a similar thing of your website. Like if I was doing this luxury wedding, something I often tell people is if you printed out your website and like had it really big at an actual wedding that you want to do or pretend, for example, you put it on everyone's plates, would it fit in with the style of the wedding? And almost universally, it's like, oh no, it wouldn't. It's completely out of place. And that is, like you said, such a key factor to know that, okay, I need to do some work. How can I make it fit in seamlessly with the weddings I want to shoot and also a photographer's brand or a high-end planner's brand, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. And I just knew like, if I didn't have the experience, I don't have the number of years or the number of weddings in my portfolio to just get me into the luxury market, then I realized, but there were other avenues I could get in with. I, I knew the things that were, you know, quote unquote, holding me back. And so it was like, okay, I'm going to dress the part. I'm going to spend a lot of time and energy and money into my branding, into the way that I present myself. And that is what got me in. Because like I said, I'm not sitting here today being like, yeah, well, I got into the luxury market because I've been in the industry for 10 years. Or yeah, I got in because I just knew the right people and like just took, they, you know, like I had those pre-connections or because I'm this age, like none of that matters in this industry. Like I feel like, and, and it's like not to toot my own horn, but it's like, I'm an example. Like I'm 23 years old doing this. Like, so can anyone out there. It really is that intentional, the research that you put in, the, the perspective that you get to create your own narrative. And so for me, I realized this is what, you know, I'm 23. These are the things that are holding me back. So let me use these things over here that are going to help get me in. Yeah, for sure. And then I noticed too on your website is a very real shift where you actually said, I am a luxury, like on, so on, for those who don't know, on Emma's website, which you could check out after, like it's black, it feels very uh, high end. And she actually says luxury wedding filmmaker and uses those words. I'm curious because like, what was the thought process behind some of the copy on your site by explicitly saying luxury because a thought pops in my mind of like would a high-end planner think oh this person is just maybe trying too hard they're putting luxury but I guess if you have the work to back it up it all works together is that pretty typical in the higher-end market for planners also to say celebrity luxury high-end in the copy on their website kind of explain that to me a little bit yeah, which honestly I think is really good. I do want to make one point that my website is currently getting completely redone. Oh, so okay. So don't check it out. We won't put the link. <laughs> don't look do, at it. But I do have it in my Instagram bio um, and okay. it will go into my my new website um, that is going to come out. 
Um, and yes, because again, we, we touched on the portfolio aspect and I can't stress this enough. You want to show work that will back it up. Again, you could send email templates, you can network with people. If you don't have the work to back it up, then it's really hard to get people to take a risk on you. So with that being said, I recognize that when I may not have had tons of weddings that were high end or weddings that were luxury, I still wanted to market myself in that direction. That was the direction that I wanted to go. So even if a planner looked at it and saw the word luxury and was like, eh, like, I don't really know. Like, she's not doing like Justin Bieber's weddings. Like, I don't deem that as luxury or however they felt. <laughs> You're like, not yet. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Not yet. Because like that, my, that is the market that I am working towards and getting towards. And again, having that portfolio that I could back up with style shoots and with the few weddings that I had that I wanted to be able to market, I'm using those keywords because those are the ideal clients that I'm going to target. And especially the word luxury, like that is the exact market I want to get into. I wanted to be doing celebrity weddings, high profile athletes, the millionaires we never hear of, those are the weddings that I wanted to do. That is luxury. And those are what planners are looking for um, that I wanted to work with. And if you think about too, like as I just reflect back on high-end experiences, whether that be cars or clothing, or like you said, clubs that you don't even know about but are catered to the top 1%, oftentimes they will use the word luxury or high-end experience or private or exclusive. And there's something that it plays into every human's uh, need to feel important. And especially when you are actually very important and in that celebrity mindset, you're like, oh, this is for me. This is like the world that I, I run in. And I think we forget that people with a lot of money are just people with a lot of money. <laughs> like, yeah. They're just like you and me to, to an extent. And everyone wants to feel special. Everyone wants to feel like they're working with someone that aligns with their values. Everyone wants that experience of walking into the Apple store and being like, I'm home. So, and I know more in the celebrity kind of luxury market, it's the planner that they hire first. So it's really the planner that wants to feel oh my goodness, this whole package that I'm putting together is going to make me look really, really good to my client. Absolutely. And yeah, and that's why it's like you haven't really heard me talk a whole lot about like the couple themselves because all I'm doing is networking really with the planners and the venues. And to touch on what you had asked earlier about the style of weddings, I wanted to just make sure that I, I, I did address that. So venues are a huge part, honestly, to making a wedding feel luxury, like truly so I think that the venue does play a huge role. Um, and so I reached out to a lot of venues as well that I had sent emails emails to because venues that I could see myself really feeling creatively inspired by. When you're working at venues that are intentionally made for luxury weddings that are going to have just like beautiful lighting and really have those like thoughts put into it, I'm instead way less stressed about the lighting and the way the backgrounds and the way things look. <laughs> because it's look like done for you. Because it's done for me. And so I just get to focus that time on being super creative. But I will say this, coming from a standpoint, again, where we're talking about like actually trying to get in, actually trying to build that portfolio for the first time. Um, I do believe that you can actually pull content from a lot of different weddings, regardless of the venues. Um, when I was trying to get in, Obviously, I was really intentional about the style shoots that I went to. Were they at venues? Were they with planners that I knew? Like, again, I would just be so focused on being creatively inspired as opposed to what the venue looked like um, or how to make the couple look the way that, I, you know, I wanted to, which I hate saying that. But, um, and instead, like, I would think about some of the weddings that I went to. 
Um, even if the couple, like maybe they're not your, you know, quote unquote, like the ideal client I'm trying to book next year, but maybe they had a really beautiful dress and attire. Like, could I snag a portrait shot of them that felt luxury? And when I say felt luxury, yeah, explain that. When I, yeah, when I say feel luxury, like I'm thinking of it, like does it feel like art? And, and you'll see on my Instagram, like I really encourage you to like go scroll through some of them. It'll make so much more sense, I feel like, when you're looking at it. But <laughs> right. it's like sometimes it's the way the shot was taken. It's the sweeping of the gimbal shot, like the elegance that was added to the shot itself. Um, or, you know, even like details, what the couple's doing. For me, my brand is like pretty editorial, like, I love the word drama, like not the reality TV drama, but like the good kind of drama. And so uh, for me with that, it's like even just having like the couple, maybe they're wearing just like a beautiful, beautiful dress and a suit that I feel like really ties into like that super high end expensive feel, giving them just like this beautifully, beautiful sweeping shot um, of the way that it was shot of how they're moving their hands. Like, you know, like having her hand like come up and like touch her necklace and like break, like run up her neck and like it it's it's hard to almost explain but it's like this visual that feels it feel the shot itself felt expensive just making shots making the experiences of the film itself feel luxury and i do want to talk on that a little bit because i think that's something that is a little i'm sure we're even going to have a hard time going back and forth because it's something you more so see than you can talk about but like I got a question from a filmmaker because it kind of ties into this. He's like, explain fine art to me. And I really feel like you're tapping into a little bit of that. And actually, I, I tried to explain it, but I was like, ah, it's just, it's, you just kind of feel it. Uh, but I even looked up on Google, like, what is fine art? And it said, oh, it's something that is displayed, whether it be a painting or a photo or a film or a sculpture that is displayed in a way where aesthetics are the highest form of displaying that art. It's not just purely functional. Like if you have a painting, it's not just to show a scene, but there's a aesthetic quality about it where the aesthetics almost has more impact, more meaning than the ink itself. And I think like we can kind of start to think about that way as filmmakers. Like when everyone starts making films, they capture the day. And that's kind of like a basic understanding of the wedding film itself. And then there's the deeper level where you make the day like technically better. And then there's a level even beyond that where it's technically the best it can be. Everything is properly exposed. There's a general story there. Um, the audio is great. But then there's a whole nother like flip side of that where you can keep going deeper into the basic, but you never truly tap into, in my opinion, this fine art aesthetic. And when I see filmmakers, photographers who are doing fine art, like when I look at a moment that they capture, it looks like it could be framed in in Paris or in France or in a high-end museum. And that's kind of like how I think about some of my shots that I capture, and I'm sure you as well, where I look at like, okay, what ads are being sold, like video commercial ads for high-end experience, whether it be hotels, whether that be perfumes, colognes, uh, suits, cars. And because I know they've done, they spent millions on their branding and they just bring a filmmaker to do those things. Or like 
old Hollywood films where they're trying to make like a star appear very mysterious and like what kind of shots are they getting of a romantic couple that might be different from your run-of-the-mill rom-com and I try to bring that stuff into my art and I find like that's the way to really elevate that fine art experience like even something simple like you said where okay you could film the bride just looking at the camera but a simple tweak where you put her in the shadow, you kind of have her hand right here, you have it run across. Like I feel like luxury experiences have this emotional feeling of one being mysterious, but also being like, there's like a hint of, am I supposed to be like looking at this? Right? Like there, there's this like, um, there's almost a, like, oh, I don't belong to this experience. Like there, there's this almost like set up, this like otherness when you see a true luxury experience. And like, I feel like current wedding filmmaking, we could get, we can go so deep into the authenticity of the film that we sometimes forget about there is a beauty, there is a luxury, there is a high-endness to making our subjects, making the day, even making some of the portrait shots be less obvious, be a little bit more mysterious, be a little bit more moody. That makes them just by definition of almost psychology, make them feel more expensive. <laughs> and so it's kind of just thinking in those ways. I feel like it is, it is about kind of, like you said, like that expensiveness where it's like maybe what is in the shot isn't expensive, but how can you make it feel expensive? Like, I feel like that is kind of like, especially what I looked for, like trying to get into the luxury market was how can I make the portfolio I have feel expensive, feel luxury. And a lot of that does come with that like creative freedom of, of really breaking the mold of instead of just focusing on just capturing everything, it's like, how am I actually filming it and thinking about this shot? And it's like, if I've got a shot of the bride just looking at the camera smiling, like that's telling me nothing. But maybe I've got a shot of her back turned to me and I tell her, you know, like, hey, like on three, I want you to just slowly bring your eyes and look back at me. And and then maybe at the same time, my, my shot is like my gimbal's like slowly moving in. And you just think about it. It's the same moment, but it tells so much more of a story as opposed to just having like, okay, like smile on three. And instead it's like, hey, I want you to like dramatically turn your eyes at me, like close your eyes and then open them. And as I'm doing that, my gimbal's sweeping in and that. And do you use that language of like, I want you to be dramatic right yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> like, 1,000%. Uh, yes. Okay, because I know like for certain brides, they would just be like, you want me to, what? Like, right. how, how do you get over that where you have maybe a bride that's very uncomfortable and they're like dramatic? Like, what? It's all, I think, again, like I remind myself and I think that's just like the deep root of me that we talked about earlier is like that education aspect. I am not assuming that every single one of my bride and grooms is a model and knows exactly what they're doing. And so I almost like over communicate a little bit where I can solve that like disconnect of like, but what do I do? And so I do use those keywords where it's like, if I've got the couple, I'm like, hey, I want you to look in opposite directions. And then on three, I want you to give me just the most moody, dramatic look, like no smile or soft smile. Or if you want your couple to smile, like giving them those keywords to where I don't want them to feel awkward. I don't want them to feel like confused. And so, yeah, I'm totally using that. Do you ever get that? Like, I feel like there has to have been some couples where you're like, this is going to be so cool. This is going to be so rad. Like, just turn and look and they're like, eh, and they, they, they look not like that way at all. 
Honestly, yes. Like, I feel like every wedding, there's always, like, a pose that we'll set up where it's like, oh, that didn't really turn out how I yeah. wanted it to. But how honestly, do you deal with those? Yeah. Oh, every time. I mean, I act like every shot that I get of the couple is, like, the best thing on the planet. So it's like when I am, like, working with my couple, I'm like, even if they did, like, let's just say they do the shot. They're looking opposite directions. They look at me on three. And it just feels super awkward. I still am like, oh, my gosh, amazing. Okay, that looks so good. <laughs> that was the best shot of my whole yeah. career. I can't even believe you did it so well. And just moving yeah. them on to the next thing. Like, there okay. are even some poses. Like, there has been a pose, like, truth be told, that I have set up that I'm like, I even know before the shot. I'm like, whoops, okay, I did not. You know, I can't really fix this pose. I will still take that five seconds to, you know, like, amazing. That looks great because I... Even though, again, like I'm so focused on the art aspect, I love shooting the details. Like at the end of the day, I never, ever, ever, ever want my couple to feel um, uncomfortable, awkward, like they're not enough. Um, and so like through all that, like posing or directing or like keywords, like I let them do the best that they can and I will never act like one is not good enough. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's so key. And it's so hard to do when you're like, oh, you guys look like really awkward, but you would never say that. Yeah. And if anything, you'd be like, okay, yeah, let's just move on to something else. And then you try, you know, another pose or another thing. Yeah. It's even really easy to like give off that body language. I've worked with so many photographers and I've even um, like seen like you can, you feel that vibe from them where it's like, even you, even by you just being like, okay, all right, let's do the next thing. It's like, you need to give your couple that affirmation. Like just tell them that they're good enough because I've worked with so many, a lot of photographers in the past where it's like, I feel uncomfortable because I feel like the photographer's making my couple feel uncomfortable. And so you don't have to be like, oh my God, that was right, so fantastic. Right. That was the best shot yeah, ever. Yeah, don't like but overtly like, lie, but you could just be like, guys, right. fantastic. Like, or, or just, and, and move on. Yeah. 1000% like just never making your couple because I, I do feel like especially like in that market where there's just like so much going on and there's so many things that you have to do like I never want to feel like I am too good to be here or I'm too good for anyone because I'm not at all and so just by providing like being really careful about the body language that I give off about the words that I'm saying like even if I feel like I the shot completely was butchered and didn't work out and it was out of my control, I never want my couple to feel like they had anything to do with it, nor do I ever want to tell them that it did. I want to pretend like every single shot of mine was just chef's kiss, you know? <laughs> Which is incredible, yeah. And they're like, oh, Emma, you made us look amazing. Yeah. And like, yeah, I did. No, that's awesome. And I think like kind of on to the next idea, question that I had was on the actual day of, because we talked about leading up and how it is very different and how the venue makes a huge difference and how we really want to make sure just down to the shot level that it is that high end, that vibe at those bigger weddings for someone who's never shot a high end wedding and they might have even booked their very first celebrity wedding and they really want to do a great job on it. Like what does the, the day of, like you mentioned a little bit of it where you just want to be extremely encouraging to your couples, you want to always make sure that they know that they are valuable, that they're doing a great job, that they have a great experience. And you even touched on that oftentimes, most of the time you're talking with the planners and the couples are not sometimes the forefront. Like how do you bridge that gap on the day of to where you feel like you're not just treating them as objects, but they, is that even something that you are concerned with? Do they care about knowing you personally on the day of like how, how does that day of differ from a $250,000 wedding versus a $50,000, $10,000 wedding? Is it very, very different or are there just certain things that are different? 
I will say from just like my own experience, it is pretty different. Um, I went from feeling like I could become best friends with my clients to genuinely not getting to meet a lot of them until literally the day of the wedding. Um, that is out of my control. That is because if you think about it, the couple hired a planner to take care of it because they don't want to take care of it. They don't want, they don't need to become best friends with all their vendors. They don't need to take the time to build relationships with you. They're simply hiring you because they want you to do an outstanding job and they trust the planner. Um, and so with that being said, there is a mindset shift set there or a mindset shift there. And I will say there are totally those outliers. Like I have a couple that um, is in the luxury market that I've gotten to know like actually like quite a bit, which is really cool. But I've also had clients where I literally show up day, like the day of the wedding and it's like, hi, I'm Emma. So good to meet you. Um, and honestly, that's happening more than I had thought would happen now. But with that being said, I do so much research beforehand and I know that we're talking about the day of the wedding, but I think that it is so important that if you've got everything that you could possibly have, and I mean like I will extensively go through the timeline, like make sure like I'm really understanding what is happening, when is is it happening, if there are any moments where I feel like I could potentially be rushed, thinking of what my plan B is going to look like, thinking of like troubleshooting through those things, especially for luxury weddings because there is not a time for me to just go with the flow and like be laid back. Like I have to be thinking on my feet, have to be adaptable. So really researching the timeline, but also I always try to get a design deck and a mood board um, from the planner. I also love getting like a venue, a ceremony layout and a reception layout. Um, The design deck and like that, yeah, that mood board gives me a really good idea of the style that the couple loves and the vision that they have for the day. That connects a lot of dots for me. So I always encourage people, like if you're trying to get in with any planner, like ask for the design deck. One, selfishly, it helps you or your relationship with the planner because the planner's thinking, oh, wow, they want my design deck? Amazing. They want to see what I care about? Great. But two, it's really piecing together, again, the style and the vision that the couple's looking for. I'm able to see inspirational shots that the planner has included to think, hey, could I... I'm going to screenshot a few and actually pose the couple like that tomorrow and get a few of those shots. The planner is going to really love it. Um, and then getting the ceremony and the, and the reception layout because I want to have a good idea of where my lighting is going to go and where my cameras are going to go. Now, granted, in any wedding, things happen on the fly. It is never going to be as we plan for them to be. But I want to do as much research as I can ahead of time so that way when I show up the day of, I mean, I have so much of it. I have so much of an idea. Just having the vision board, I know what the style of the couple, like the style the couple's going for. I know what my setup is going to look like. I've got a really good understanding of the timeline. I didn't just look at it like the day before. And that's how I go into the wedding day. And then it's just like, again, like the design deck, understanding the planner too, the planner that they've hired. What style does the planner give off? Because the clients hire the planner because they like their style. So again, honing into that and really understanding their vision. And I will say, I mean, I feel like it sounds kind of sad to say, but I really don't get to know a lot of my clients that well. I don't get to just like be their BFF on the wedding day. Like I genuinely am here to make them look the best, make them feel the best, to capture all those moments of their family and their friends or the details of the production And based on everything that I've gained from the planner, or if I had gotten to meet with the client for 30 minutes, 
that's what I have to hone into is giving them at the end of the day, the best possible video that they can have. And as much as I wish I could say, you know, you just get to know them so well and like really have an idea. Like there are a lot of times that you don't. And so really understanding the planner and the vision through their design deck, their mood board, the ceremony, the venue layouts, all that research ahead of time. That is what helps me just, again, just really just do my job on the wedding day. Show up, film, you know, everything that I've seen through the design deck, see what's, you know, important through them and how they interact with their guests, those kind of things. And it kind of just, I'm sure, allows that stress not to be there because you've thought about it so extensively. Oh my gosh, yeah. Like, because in a way, I just a thought popped in my mind of if you are trying to be buddy-buddy with the couple, there is probably an aspect of it can be a little distracting on the day of than just capturing what's happening. Like, do you find, even though you're doing these bigger weddings and also there's a certain differentness and maybe even sadness that you don't get to know the couple that well, like when you're actually shooting on the day of, do you find yourself not actually even talking to them that much and just kind of being a fly on the wall more so than you were, you know, years back? Like how does, how does that mindset shift work? Cause I'm thinking just as you're describing this, I would be like, okay, well then I'm just going to shoot the day. And maybe the only time I would really, really talk with a couple and not even in a deep way would be with the photographer as we're doing portraits. But it's kind of like, hey, let's get this done quickly so they can go to cocktail hour because they spent, you know, half a million on that. Like, let's just quickly move them on. Does it almost in a weird way make it so much less stressful because you're just shooting exactly what's happening in front of you? I don't know. Maybe you could talk to that a little bit. Yeah, no, absolutely. I completely think so for me. And again, I really say all of this, it is personal preference. Not everyone hears this and is like, no, I love the relationship with my couple and I love telling their story. And that is incredible for me. For me, it doesn't bother me. It really doesn't bother me at the end of the day. Like I love getting to be a part of these events and get to work with all the vendors a lot more and really become friends with them and like be friends with my clients, but really like just showing up. Um, there was a bachelorette party that I had filmed at Gary a few months ago, I literally didn't get to meet the bride until the day of. And even throughout the whole experience, I maybe had maybe two conversations with her in three days. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. That's kind of mind blowing. <laughs> and it really is just about like, I'm literally there to show up, to do my job, to film this the best that I can. And then so it's to- kind of like, hi, I'm going to be filming. You do your thing. And then bye. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then the only time I'm really talking to them is for portraits. I just filmed a wedding two weekends ago at Calamigos Ranch and the client had literally spent oh, a ridiculous amount. They had built this welcome party that was like a whole fair they had built. They brought mm, Ferris wheels wow. and ride the wow. whole shebang. It was yeah, beautiful. Yeah. But again, hadn't met them. I show up on the day of, get to introduce myself. And the only time that I'm talking to them is literally at the end of the night when we're going to do like a little portrait session and I'm going to grab some shots of them. Like there is not a lot of communication. So even in the getting ready process, you're not like, how's your day and how's it going? And are you uh, stressed out? Or like, is there any of that initial 
like a back and forth with the bride at least? Yeah, the initial conversations, absolutely. Like when I am going up to meet them, so it's like the wedding day. Like I go up to the bride and I'm like, hey, like how's it going? I'm Emma, it's so good to meet you. And she says, hey Emma, I'm so glad you're here. And there is that small talk like, how are you feeling? Great, okay, good. Is there anything? Okay, just the initial Yeah, is there anything I can do for you? Amazing, okay, like if, if you need anything throughout the day, you please let me know. Um, it, and, it, and I really go off the vibe of the couple because you will get couples that want to talk to you and it doesn't like go for that. That's amazing. The more my couples talk to me, great. I am so happy to talk to them, but I do have that clientele where they're not interested in being my BFF. They have so much, they're focused on their wedding day and their family and their friends as they should be. And so I really play off of the vibe of the couple, um, which again is not for everyone. Yeah, because I'm like, uh, you, you kind of got to decide, okay, who am I as a person? Which weddings do I jive better with? And that's why I always tell people like, try your best in that first year or so to shoot as many different styles of weddings as you can. Because you may hear this and be like, oh, I, this, this is just so speaking my language. And I think celebrity weddings are what I want to do. And you may do one and be like, I hate this, or I love this. Or you might do an elopement, same thing, or kind of more medium-sized wedding, same thing, kind of like what you were saying at the beginning. You really got to think about not just, hey, I want to make this amount of money. You got to think about what do I actually want my life to be like Monday through Friday and really let that drive which market you're going to be in because It's one thing to be like, hey, I'm successful on Instagram and social media and I'm doing all these things that, you know, I've always wanted to do. But I will tell you guys right now, I'm sure you could attest that if you are not, if it's not congruent with what you actually want out of life, you could have be as successful as anyone would want to be, but actually be miserable and hating your life. So you really got to figure out if you are more introverted in a weird way, high-end weddings could almost play to that. Or if you're more sociable and extroverted, you know, you, you really got to figure out who am I and do an art that pulls that out so that you can have your creativity just come to fruition in whatever you're doing. Yeah, I can't preach that. I honestly like can't echo that enough because I think that that's so true. Like, like we, I'd said at the very beginning, like there is not an end-all do-all of that, val- that value or determines your success you know the luxury market's not for everyone the elopement space isn't for everyone the budget weddings aren't for everyone but they are for someone and it doesn't matter at the end of the day if you say you know what I want to shoot 50 weddings a year that are budget weddings and get through it and have an <laughs> oh, editing just scared me a little I bit. know I know I really said I really went there with that example yeah, but yeah if that is if you have created the lifestyle that you enjoy that success is worth far more than you working in the luxury market, feeling like you have no connection with your client, feeling like you would just rather be somewhere else, like truly. And so it's like for some people out there that they're like, yeah, the luxury market sounds fantastic. For me and my own personal experience, I realize just with how busy I am in life and the other avenues that I want to explore with education, like I don't have the time to get to know my clients through several calls anymore. I've also realized with what the luxury market entails, like kind of how like I need to shift to, again, like I'm new to it as well. Like I'm not sitting here trying to speak on like 10 years of being in the luxury market because that's just not true. And so it's like from my own experience and from me diving in, I realized like I've fallen, I've been able to, by spending honestly less time with my couples, 
I've been able to fall in love with the artwork of my films more, which sounds crazy, but again, not for everyone. So yeah, I just think that it's really important to know that and to just really look at what you enjoy filming and then you determine what your success is going to look like from there, you know? Right, right. And then off of that, because even the not knowing your couples that well kind of plays into the editing side of things because now you are charging more and it's really about the planner. What I'm curious about is, is, is there any element of the artistry of it? At what point does it become a law of diminishing returns? Because I know there's so many filmmakers who are like, if I am the one who shoot and edits this, I'm going to have, and I wouldn't argue with them, the highest level of art that my studio can output. Um, but obviously there's a cap to that because you just, it takes so much time to put in that much effort into something. So I guess my question is, does the high-end market that you're specifically in, do planners really care about that extra 30% that only, say, you could do? Does that really impact bookings all that much? Like how have you kind of walked that fine tightrope of subbing out edits, growing your brand. And like you've mentioned a few times on this podcast, like you do really care about the art of it. And when you say that, is it more so on the day of like, I have the vision, I have the art, and I've kind of trained my editor in that. And I know that'll be my brand. But I but I'm also not naive to know that, yeah, if I were to edit from start to finish, it would probably be a completely closed loop. And it'd be fantastic from all ends. But I've kind of come to terms with that extra 30% doesn't really matter all that much to growing the brand to where I want it to be. Like, how do you walk, how do you balance that, caring so much about the art as I know you do? Yeah, I think a lot of it is being able to take on less weddings and charge more because then I've got more time on my hands to then focus on the art. And when I'm working with these planners, I will say from the few planners that I've actually had really good conversations with, um, they have different categories of videographers that they recommend. So they might have four videographers on their list, but each of those four comes out at a different style. I might be the one that is um, a little bit more like hype, upbeat, but yet dramatic. They might have a filmmaker on there who is more vintage, like if they're looking for kind of like that super eight look. Another filmmaker who's like super cinematic, like really focuses on like the location emphasis. And then another filmmaker who might just be like really like fun and like fully upbeat. My brand offers like that sense of like hype, but also drama. Um, and so with that being said, like there is that art, art aspect that is still there. My art is really important to me. And I think that is what gets me through the luxury market, that mundaneness of not being able to get to know my couples, of not being able to get to... It's still having that strong artistic voice. Right, where I'm producing these wedding films. And even though I didn't get to build this crazy relationship with the couple, like I'm so proud of the edit that was put together. And so I'm working with every single couple that I get, every planner that I'm working with, what their design debt look like, what their vision looks like, what I get to learn from the planner about the couple, then translating that over to my editing team and being like, hey, like we have a wedding that is going to be... Um, it's going to need a lot of that hype factor to it. This couple is really outgoing. Um, I personally, and I think that this is just because, well, I hope I'm always this way. I want to always be this way in the market. Being in the luxury market, like I really don't care kind of what vibe you have with your wedding. Honestly, I have couples who they want like Vogue editorial, very, very focused on the design as opposed to them. 
I also have couples that are very, very family focused that want something a little bit more upbeat, um, but still obviously luxury. And then I've got those couples that they want like a hype video. I don't have a preference. I don't say, well, if you're not like the Vogue type, if you don't want that kind of video, like I'm not for you. Because to me, like I can be artistic in any different direction that I go. Again, in the luxury space, I'm working with planners and vendors who are all there to do their job, which makes my job easier. I'm also working at venues that allow me to be way more artistically creative and have that sense of yeah creativity to use in their edits. And so now that it's like in that market, I don't have a preference on the type of couple that I get. And so I'm just really translating that over to my editor Um, figuring out as much as I can about them beforehand and then what I learn on the wedding day and then translating that over. Um, Did that answer it? Yeah, no, that that makes perfect sense. And then working with like editors is kind of like, how have you made that a success? Because I know for a lot of people, it's really difficult to communicate that vision and to have it come back how you are envisioning everything coming together, especially when you are probably at least at the start, working with these high-end planners and wanting to come out a certain way, like what is that process to where you still feel like I'm pumping out things that, you know, I'm really proud of for my brand? Yeah, honestly, like, I mean, I just want to be as transparent as possible. I feel like I'm still in that process of like really pushing my edits to another level. Like now that I'm in the luxury market, I'm really working on building up that portfolio that really does back it up. Um, and so I just don't want to speak in this way that like I have it all figured out because I'm still learning. But what I can say throughout this process of like producing that kind of work, I'm over communicating as much as possible. Like I'm making sure that my editing team is like learning every little detail and I'm really, really picky. And so I may get a, may get it back and like have a ton of revisions, but I'm going to make sure that it is the vision that I had in my head. And so just that over communication aspect, while some of us might feel like that's like really nerve wracking to do, or you might feel like you're putting a lot of pressure on your editor. There's also a lot of pressure on me to produce the quality of film that needs to come out from this wedding. And I care more about that than I care more about leaving 30 comments on version one of my edit on my video. Right. And and it's kind of like viewing, if you do work with editors, viewing them as you are part of this team together. Cause I think so many people think about, oh, I'm going to hire an editor to kind of do what I don't want to do and just kind of, I know when I first started working with editors, it was kind of like, oh, you pick the song, you pick the vision. And I would get so frustrated because I'd have so many changes. And I'm like, oh, it would just be better if I just, I edited it. But I think what you're communicating is more, hey, this is at the end of the day, like my brand's film and edit. And I am really stepping into the role of creative director and we are working together. And yes, you may be doing a rough cut, but I'm coming to you with, hey, this is the song kind of idea. This is the vibe idea. And when you send me an edit, it's like, hey, I'm also an editor too. And we're moving through this. Let's actually do the intro different this way. Like, I'm so glad that you said first draft, I'll have like 30 plus notes. Like when I work with editors, (laughs) it's kind of, a similar thing where it'll be like, hey, I'll communicate to my editors, like, I want to collaborate on this. And me having a bunch of notes does not mean that I'm like not satisfied or that you guys aren't doing a great job. Like, I want to collaborate on this together. And I'll go through, which I'm sure you do as well, two to three revisions where I'll just get in the, I'll get in the nitty gritty of like, hey, can we, you know, this shot is five seconds too long. Actually here, it doesn't feel quite right. I remember I shot this thing over here that I really envisioned would fit better here. Let's switch this up. 
or the song just really isn't communicating the emotion I had hoped for here. And obviously you're going to pay more money for that with an editor who's willing to work that way. But I think that's honestly, as I'm sure you are also figuring out, the only real way to have distinctive films is to still have a lot of yourself involved in the process. Exactly. And that just is the reality of it. I mean, like outsourcing has literally saved my career. I would not be here if I was still editing all of my films, but it has taken off such a workload from me, but I'm still a part of the process because just as you said, like I still want to be that creative director that is really kind of structuring those films because I am at this point where it's like, I'm not filming 50 weddings a year where I'm producing quantity over quality. I need the 15 weddings a year that go out to be distinctive, to really, really hone in on my brand that you watch that and you're like, that's an MK film. And that is what I've really been working on this year in the luxury market is really, really up-leveling and elevating my films to reflect that. Um, and, and I do have to be a part of that process and that's totally okay. And I make time for that because at the end of the day, I need my films to refract, reflect that brand. Yeah, absolutely. It's scary because like, oh, this is, this is me. And then who yeah. do you use for editing? Is it just like freelance people, you know, someone you found in a Facebook group or who do you use? Yeah. So I have worked with Wetter since 2020. They were literally year two um, that I started with my editor. Um, and I honestly like cannot recommend them enough. Like genuinely, like I preached, I preached to the ends of the earth about Wetter, but it is so much of a partnership as opposed. I've used, I've tried using other editing teams like in the past and it was just very cookie cutter. It was very like, and I knew again with the direction that my brain was going, I can't afford cookie cutter. Yeah. It needs to be unique and intentional. Yes, I need someone who is going to work with me and is going to really build a partnership to really be an extension of my team as opposed to just like, all right, here's the film. I'll talk to you in six weeks and we'll see what it looks like. Um, so yeah, I've been using Wetter since year two of my business and honestly like could not recommend them enough, truly. That's really awesome to hear because I know a lot of people use Wetter and uh, definitely if you're listening to this, I would definitely check them out. I think... They've had so many people interested in them that they have a wait list and you can't just like hire them. Is that right? Um, I will say that if any of you want to get in, like please DM me because I would be happy to like put you in connections. I do know that they have a lot of <laughs> You're going to have like hundreds of DMs <laughs> after this. Like, Emma, help me. I'm drowning. I'm burnt out. Help. Um, no, which honestly, I'm fine. I love that. I love that. Like I'm here to help in any sort of capacity. Um, but I do know that they do have quite a bit of people. But I will say like if you are very passionate and very serious about it, DM me. I have great connections. I work with Wetter like not only on just like a clientele basis, but also like more of like the partnership aspect. So like, please like reach out to me because I'm happy to connect anyone. That's really, really good to know. I'm, I might even send you a DM be like, help, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I have edits because I have heard really good things about them. I know, I think Nick and John use them as well over at How to Film Weddings. And I think Kalen's using some random company. He's always like every year I talk with him. He's like, I'm trying out this new company in like the Philippines. I'm like, all right, good luck with that, man. <laughs> He's always trying a new, a, a new person. Um, but okay. So I think, man, we touched on so many amazing things. I have a couple last questions, uh, even though we covered pretty much everything. Is there anything else that in the next year 
you're kind of looking at, like you mentioned, you're doing a new website, like as you're now in LA and also just with the wedding filmmaking market being what it is, we're in 2023, there's a lot of people honestly struggling a lot in just the wedding industry in general. Like what are some things that you're planning to shift in your own business that you're excited about for this new market that you're entering into? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, first and foremost, super excited about the branding aspect. I will say, which is so embarrassing and I can't even believe I'm going to say this on a podcast, but I have rebranded. This is my fourth rebrand in four years. Um, I feel like every year I rebrand and it's like, all right, I'm like, where's the new logo? But I, I like truthfully, like feel like now that I'm finally like where in the market that I want to be at, I really have this understanding of really what I want my brand to look like. And so I'm super excited about that. Super excited to see like the branding and the website, um, completely like just elevate, I guess, into the brand that I have now become, um, also kind of how like my business is going to shift is, I mean, I'm just, I'm really excited to really just focus on the, on the quality of films. I mean, again, like being just super transparent, like I don't have films that, you know, people are just like, oh man, like that, like feeling so inspired by, and I don't need people to be super inspired by my films, but I'm really excited because I want to feel really inspired by my films. And so I think this year is really just the year of like, just putting my head down and really focusing on the quality of the films that I'm producing in the luxury space. And so, I mean, that might be a little bit true transparent because I know everybody's like, well, everybody wants to have the best films, but I just think for me, it's just like really putting my head down and being excited about like the quality of the edits that are coming out. So no, I love that because I feel like uh, when people listen to these podcasts and they hear people who uh, oftentimes they would look up to and they're like, oh, they have it all figured out. They must just leave every wedding feeling like completely confident. They could have done nothing else different. They might even look at your Instagram and your films and be like, oh my goodness, if I could be like Emma someday, that would be so amazing. And I think to hear you say, no, actually there's certain things that I know I'm I would like to improve at. Not that I'm not proud of what I'm producing, but I see a love, like you said, you love art so much that there's another level of how you can serve couples by pushing into that more. When you look at your own work, because that is a little bit of an esoteric thing of saying, oh, I just want my films to be better, <laughs> you know, right? And to be more artistic. And as much as you feel like, oh, I don't know if I should say this on a podcast, I can guarantee you that everyone listening is like, oh my goodness, I resonate with that so deeply because all the filmmakers I talk to are just like, I don't feel like there's a safe place to ever say, I don't feel like my films are where I want them to be. And you just look all around on Instagram and it feels like everyone is producing work that is jaw dropping and then you get this imposter syndrome. So I'm curious like what you would say, like what what are those things that you're specifically going to work on that other people could say, oh, I could look at my films in that way too and make them better? Like an example would be, um, okay, I'm looking at my films and I'm realizing that my compositions are not as high end as I want them to be. Um, maybe that nitty gritty or maybe my color isn't as this or that or maybe my intros are great, but like the bulk of my film, it kind of tapers off. Like maybe... I don't know if that's too like honest or authentic, oh, but no, I, love I, it. I love this whole no, idea yeah. of, because so many people, 
don't get to get the behind the scenes on how we think about our own art. And I just want to bring people into that of like how you or me would actually workshop making something better of our own work. No, I love that. And I think that it's so important to talk about these things because we do get those, uh, that imposter syndrome where we look at everyone else's work and are just like, whoa, when is my work going to be like that? But also remember too, you're only seeing like 20% of somebody's work on social media, right? Like you're not seeing all my highlight films. You're seeing the ones that I want to show you. And we forget <laughs> There's a that, secret vault of like right. that no one can ever view these films. But even then, like even the filmmakers that you look up to that you think are the best in the world, they're not showing you every single shot that they've ever taken that year, right? Like we're using our social media because we want to create this portfolio to market to our ideal client next year. And so with that being said, for me, like my film te filming techniques, like I definitely this year, I'm working a lot on my gimbal work. Um, I can really struggle with like adding enough movement. I can be coming from someone who used to be all handheld trying. I don't want to use, I'm almost like not using enough movement on my gimbal. So I'm working on that because I'm really trying to tell those story and get those beautiful sweeping shots because those are like the money shots with details. So I'm working on that. And then the other thing that I definitely like really am focused on um, like elevating in my films would be like the toast lighting. Um, like I've got a really good setup, but sometimes I really struggle with um, like in receptions, I struggle working with the other lighting that's in the room to match my lighting. Yeah. What, what are you doing lighting wise? Because that's actually a few people in the recent weeks have asked me specifically about toast lighting. And I'm like, well, I know kind of the general way to go about it. And I know there's even like, you know, the very pole, which I think Justin was talking about where you can like boom it up and it anchors to the ceiling and to the floor and you can kind of put a light. Like for the more luxury market, the $250,000 plus weddings, what are they kind of expecting wedding filmmakers to show up with? What is like obnoxious? What is, what can you do? What can't you do? Right. Yeah, I will say it really, really, really depends per wedding. And I think that is what's really important about doing the research beforehand because there are some productions um, that are high level enough where they have all the lighting for the toast and I literally don't use my lights at all. Um, but there are also still some luxury weddings where I have to bring my lights in. Um, and so it's like I'm using uh, two Aperture um, 60X that I'm using to like key light the toast giver and key light the couple. And then I have like some torch LEDs that are sad discontinued <laughs> i was but, like um, you still have a torch led i didn't even yeah, know anyone still had the, i still have one but it's like deep in the recesses of my closet never to be yeah brought out again. so i'll i'll bring two of them just in case i need backlights typically i can get away with just using two aperture 60x lights to have enough lighting but if it's like really dark behind the couple and i just am not able to like cross my lighting in a way that gets enough coverage on it i'll bring out the torch leds um but i will say um, so I actually just filmed a through, it's called through the lens course with Jake and Nate, Jake Weisler and Nate Tihon from, uh, runaway vows. And this is super, super cool. It actually should be releasing super soon. I'm not sure when this podcast comes out, but it'll be releasing in like July. And it is literally an entire, I filmed a three day wedding and we did like all the behind the scenes, like raw, real um, which I loved because this was a real wedding with a couple who are not models um, in the luxury market. It was filmed at Calamigos Ranch. It was beautiful. But we literally walked through like every single aspect of the day um, raw happening real time. And the toast was one thing that night that I was feeling like so scatterbrained on and caught off guard. And I just think like 
those types of things are so good to talk about because I have been there where I look at other people and I'm just like, oh my gosh, your work is unreal. When am I going to be there? Like, I think that about my own work where it's like, I will tear it apart, tear it apart and look back at it and just think like, when am I going to, you know, we all struggle with that and we get so in our heads sometimes. So I think it's so healthy to talk about like every single filmmaker that you've ever been inspired by has things that I guarantee you that they're currently working on, you know? And that's like the whole process is you never arrive and there's always going to be a new thing that you want to improve on. Like I always talk about how really business, but specifically wedding filmmaking, because it usually is just you. And maybe if you're lucky, another person who's on staff, it feels very much like a teeter totter where you're here and you're like, okay, I'm going to work on my branding and maybe my client relations. And you get that kind of solved, but then you realize, oh shoot, because it's only me Everything else, like my color, my film, my audio is over here unaddressed. And then you run over and you fix those things. And by the time those things are fixed, like, oh, well, now I got to work on my branding again. I got to, you know, redo my website. And it's, uh, I just like to encourage people, which I'm sure you do too, is like, it's okay not to have it all together. Actually, if you just assume that it's normal to feel like, you know, a chicken with its head cut off sometimes. Like you'll feel so much better because I think so much stress comes up, so much nervousness comes up when you think it's unnormal to feel like you don't have everything together. Absolutely. But then you, when you realize, no, this is part of running a business, yep. then you're like, okay, cool. Like things are burning. It's fine. It's normal. We're good. <laughs> and every filmmaker I've talked to, like, I think one of my favorite things, which I know you've done workshops as well, which have been incredible looking and hopefully I can make it down to one sometime, but uh, like going to venture as a teacher, it's so cool to just talk to the other teachers and realize, you know, hey, we're, we're kind of all jerry-rigging this thing to get together in certain aspects. Of course, you know, there's been certain things that we know that we can teach, but to sit aside from John or Kaylin or Catherine and just be like, oh, you guys are freaked out about this too? Like, me too. Or like, you guys barely, like, I see that film and then I talk with them personally and they're like, I don't know how that shot happened. It was like last minute and the coordinator was breathing down my throat and that shot like happened. And so I'm sure you could, you know, same experience where you're talking with other people and realizing, okay, cool. It's normal to just uh, feel like this. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm a huge, like, I, I truly believe in like, nothing's off the table like I'm such an open book too like even just like becoming like getting into the educator space and yeah hosting workshops and doing a podcast and like really wanting to educate in the industry like I am still figuring it out like we all are I'm never not going to be figuring out there's never going to be a point in time where I can tell someone like yeah like I totally like know it all because I never will and yeah and that's totally okay and so yeah I hope that this whole episode just like encourages people like talk about things that you feel like you've not talked about before or you don't hear other creators talking about like open up those conversations because so many of us want to kind of hide um and put ourselves in this box where if we can just talk about it together like that is when the most growth happens mm, absolutely and that kind of brings me to one of my final questions of just you grew so fast from four years to being here not only doing amazing weddings that people would like dream of doing, but also doing incredible education that people are loving and you're helping people grow and move to that next level. 
I think like off of what you're just talking about, being honest, being authentic, like what now, like Emma now, what do you, what are you kind of scared of? What do you feel like, oh man, I'm here, but what is the next couple of, I don't know if that's too like personal. I just like asking that question because a lot of people look up to us or other educators and they feel like we're just so beyond them. Like, is there anything in your business that you're worried about or you're just like, ah, I, I don't know about this next couple of years. And you don't, you know, you could share as much as you feel comfortable, but I just, I don't know. It's, I think, a cool question to ask. No, I like it. It's a very vulnerable question. Um, but like <laughs> Sorry, I said, I like, <laughs> no, it's okay. But I, I genuinely like, I'm just super transparent where I'm just going to like share whatever. But honestly, I think like the biggest fear like inside of me is like never being able to produce the films that never it's the same thing that we just talked about like not being able to produce films that speak my brand enough and it's like I love the films that I have now but I know where they need to be a year from today and the question the fear is that they don't get there and but I will say like I recognize that and we're tackling it head on and we're working towards like every wedding. It's like, what can I do better? What do I need to work on? Like, what can I get better to where then I can be a better creative director and we can produce these films that are really going to inspire other people. And so, yeah, I would say like, that's, that's the fear, but we are, we are tackling it head on and working on it. Yeah. And a year from now, you're going to be like, why did I even say that? These <laughs> films are incredible. I completely got over that hill. I hope and, so. Yeah. No, th thanks for sharing that. I feel that too, where uh, I think it's the reverse for me. Well, not the reverse, but being in the industry for so long and being in the educator space of, oh, been doing education for a while, been making films for a while. My fear is, oh my goodness, uh, people are getting so good so quick and I'm not naive to be like, oh, their films are better. And what am I doing here? Are people still going to respect me as an educator or as this voice in the industry? So I think in every stage of business, there's like, you just swap out fears. Like as you're growing up to the top, you're like, are my films going to be good enough? Then when they are, because more than likely knowing you and your go get them attitude and how you've done everything else, they're going to be good enough. But then it's just like, our hearts are so weird. They just like, oh, okay, I'm not scared about this anymore. But now I've built this thing. And what if I don't have it anymore? What if, like, for whatever reason, I have to go back and get a job? And what if, like, my parents were right or whatever, even after you've had so much success? So I think, one, to encourage you, like, there'll always be a fear, but I see you're going to easily get over that. And also to encourage people listening, it's like, there will never be a time in your business where there is no fear and it's kind of up to us to decide how we're going to respond to it. Are we going to panic or are we just going to keep like uh, like Nemo, just keep swimming and just knowing that, hey, you know, we're going to get somewhere eventually. It might not be exactly where we think we're going to get, but we're going to grow so much along the way and we're going to be so much better for it. So I, I appreciate you uh, just sharing that. And uh, I know that's hard to admit like, hey, <laughs> this is where I'm at. No, but I think it's, yeah, it's so good, especially like in the educator space. Like it is so good. Like everyone should know that every educator you've ever looked up to has their own fears, has their own struggles. Like, and I just hope that like, especially like being like a female voice that like, it is very transparent that 
you know, like I'm, I'm an open book to talk about anything with. I'm a safe space. Like if anyone has questions or wants to share their own stories and struggles or like can relate to any part of like my journey, like I am more than happy to share about that and will never be someone that's, you know, going to give fluff or make anyone feel like someone's better than the other because we are all educator or not educator. Like we are all humans that love videoing weddings. I I love how he said that. I love videoing weddings. I sound like grandma. Uh, I love videoing weddings. I'm a luxury videotaper. But really like we, we are, we're all just human. We are, we are educator or not. We are all doing something that we're really passionate about. And the more that we as a community can come together and share our stories and our struggles and our fears, like, the most growth I've done is because I've shared something with someone else who I can then help and can then help me. And that's like speaks more volume than anything. Just being vulnerable is hard, but so helpful. Oh, perfect. Well, I think that's like pretty much the best way to end it on. I don't know. Did you have anything else that you wanted to add any last minute zinger or we just end it there? I feel like that was a good spot. Yeah, no, I love that. If any of you want to follow me on Instagram, send me a DM. It's at Emma K underscore films. And I would, again, like just be happy to share any thoughts with you guys or have any like good conversations. But yeah, that's it. Yeah, and I'll have all that in the show notes. Definitely reach out to Emma. Check out her uh, networking guide. I've just seen the reviews and people are over the moon with it, having such incredible um, testimonials and actually working, which is what we hope as educators at everything we produce that people have a life change with. So definitely check that out. Alrighty. Well, that wraps up today's episode with Emma. As always, check out all her links in the description below. Check out her networking templates and her website and her Instagram and shoot her over a DM, just encouraging her what you enjoyed about this episode. And also, we do have a really cool community on Instagram where you can check out where we post and feature some of the world's best wedding filmmakers. So you can find that link in the description below as well. Be sure to follow theactive.co on Instagram and use the hashtag to get featured as well. Alrighty, guys. Well, today's episode was awesome and I can't wait to see you in the next one. Thank you.